you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. The Around the NFL Podcast. Knows who has the juice. Welcome to another edition of the Around the NFL Podcast. My name is Dan Hansis. I come to you from a virtual room that is filled, yes, thankfully filled with heroes. Greg Rosenthal, Mark Sessler, and the great, the iconic... The unstoppable Chris Wessling. What's up, boys? Hey, Dan. Yeah, listen to that. What? I like that. Hey, Dan Wes. Well, That's hey, after stuff. after that intro, you got to bring a little bit. <laughs> uh, yes, Wes joining us uh, as he did last week for the leadoff game, and we're incredibly thankful to have the whole gang of heroes together on divisional round weekend. Pound for pound, the best weekend of football in the NFL. Maybe the games weren't classic this weekend, but every game was a lot of fun to talk about leading up to it and dissect uh, after it is through, and that's what we're going to do on today's show. And, of course, uh, Mark Sessler, um, really who's become one of the more famous Browns fans, I would say, in the country. I think you could actually say that at this point when you really break it down. It's you. Well, it's Drew Carey first. Right, <laughs> I guess. Um, and then like is I it, feel like he's it's kind a, of out of the mix right now. I feel no, like. Carrie's doing prices right. Let's be fair. Okay, um, that's a huge game show still. Uh, but number two is a bit of a dogfight, and 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 Mark is obviously well known for his Browns fandom. Their season came to a conclusion uh, today, but uh, the dogs went down uh, growling and fighting. Uh, and Mark, how are you feeling right now? I know the audience wants to know. I'm I'm doing fine. Um, it's you know I I think part of it is I'm 47 years old, so uh, win or lose, I've got a lot of other things happening in life. I thought they the better team won, and um, I think that helps when you lose a playoff game when there's not a lot of question about who the better team is. Um, but I'm proud of them, and uh, there's it's the start of something. I hope if it's a flash in the pan and the window got shut, then I'm annoyed. But I don't know that that's the case right now. That's true. You never know. You, you never know. know. The big assumption and the mistake fans make all the time is, oh, we'll be back there next year. You never know. However, you know, Mark, and we talked about this privately after, you know, it feels like things are on the right path in Cleveland. This seems like a nucleus that's in place. We have time to get into all that when we uh, talk that game. We're going to go, like last week, in super wild card weekend. And not super divisional round, though. See how that's when the bill comes due. If you build up wild card round as super... You make the divisional round look like hell. They've kind of they've kind of got the whole best like weekend in football thing. Tra- they should trademark that since everyone just says it anyways. And Sunday came through for us. It was looking a little shaky. The Saturday games didn't quite live up to it. Sunday came through. Uh, but you're right. I mean, um, they got to think about that. Markers. I mean, this is what they've started. They've opened up Pandora's box. All right, so we'll go in reverse chronological order, uh, starting with the game that just concluded at the Superdome. It was the end of an era. 
Buccaneers defense, four-man front, dropping Breeze. Breeze dropping at the pass. Oh, it's intercepted. Picked off by Devin White to the 40. Shoves a guy out of his way. Inside the 30, Devin White down the sideline. And the Bucs have the ball. We're in business deep in Saints territory. Dean Decker off. WFUS. Yes, the Bucks collected three picks from Drew Breeze in what was likely the veteran QB's final game. And the Tampa Bay Buccaneers advanced to the NFC title game with a 30-20 win over the Saints at the Superdome. The Bucks are back in the NFL's version of the Final Four for the first time since their Super Bowl season of 2002. And Chris Wessling, this was a wonderful showcase for their defense and the man that intercepted that pass, the second interception, which really uh, put the clamps on the Saints, their young star linebacker, Devin White. Devin White was everywhere, and that's no, you know, that's no coincidence. He he is often everywhere. He's not often in the right place at the right time, but he's one of those young linebackers who has sideline to sideline range. He can get to anywhere. He's a playmaker. He sometimes makes mistakes, but in this game, he was everywhere. I saw you tweeted it, Dan, and. It, it was a case of Drew Brees' generosity, really. <laughs> the Bucks were able to just sit at the sticks, dare him to throw beyond 10 yards, and shrink the field like they're playing against Matt Castle. Mm. Castle, haven't heard his name. Uh, I mean, that's tough. That was, that was a dirty word from West back in the days. But, yeah. but he's right. I mean, we're talking about the end of one of the great careers ever and we talked about it on this West is one of your famous lines that probably one of from one of the trillion football books that you've devoured over the years um, but actually I think it was a quote from someone's father I'm getting there uh, careers don't end well they rarely do maybe it's Tom Brady's dad um, and that's what happened with Drew Brees here he, he turned 42 on Friday and and if this is the end, Greg, it, it ended in a sad way because you had the interceptions, yes, but just you saw the physical inability for him to really lead this offense with any level of aggression. It, it, it was sad because it, it ends not just the Drew Brees era, but this last four years of the Saints, which is a really unique one where they were one of the five best teams, I think, in the regular season all four years. Um, you know they were record wise, and they weren't able to to really capitalize on it. And I think the Bucks defense, which has some flaws, this is the this was the perfect matchup for them. Even though I know they lost the last one, thirty eight to three, it was just they're a team that you can beat over the top. They play this aggressive style. They don't have a, a great pass rush. It, it was a little better today. Guys like Devin White, who had a terrible game, I think he was like the LVP the first time around, have grown up a little bit throughout the season. And Breeze was the last quarterback that could take advantage of these aggressive corners. I mean, even after Carlton Davis left the game and you got um, – you know, you've got journeymen in there. He just he couldn't push the ball. And I I don't think you can be too shocked if you've watched Breeze since the moment he came back. And they had some better results offensively, but they were coaching around him. I think losing Taysom Hill hurt. 
you know, even lo- losing Latavius Murray maybe hurt a little bit, like on a day like this where you, you need the running game. They, they could have won this game. I mean, it was a weird game with turnovers. Like if they played it 10 times, they would have won it sometimes. But you play with such a margin for error when you've got that big of a disadvantage at quarterback. And I know it wasn't Brady's best game, but it was a big time disadvantage when you were matching up what Breeze can do and what Brady could do. I mean, just a quick shout out to Wes here because it's kind of like the day before you come down with a like a a cold and you kind of can feel it um, at like two o'clock the day before and like something's not totally right with me and I'm going to get you can feel it by that night that you're not feeling well and the cold's coming and that's how I feel like Wes diagnosed the um, fading arm strength of Drew Brees and someone tweeted and said you better talk about this tonight because he said this this past offseason Wes you've been saying this for a long time I feel like you've seen little hints of it for a while, and tonight, looking at Drew Brees, his face staring at the Microsoft tablet or whatever it's called at the end of the game, I really felt for him. I mean, you could just see this amazing career coming to an end. Well, it reminded me so much of last year's playoffs, playoff loss to the Vikings, where the only way they could move the ball was for the backup quarterback, and in that case, Taysom Hill, to come in and hit a couple of shot plays down the field. And in this case, Jameis Winston to hit the touchdown. And I guess you don't do it to a legend, but I wondered if Sean Payton would pull Drew Brees at some point in the fourth quarter with your season on the line. I mean, you owe it to the other 52 players as well. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good call, Wes, because this was such an important season for the Saints. It was an all-in year for them. There's so many changes potentially on the horizon beyond just quarterback. Uh, this roster was built to win in 2020, and that put Peyton in a very difficult position. I guess if I had to critique one thing about how Peyton called the game was, you know, bravo on the trick play that led to the wide open uh, Traquan Smith touchdown from Jameis Winston. I could have used a couple more of those bad boys. Empty out the playbook. It's something like you saw Josh McDaniels do. Uh, with the Patriots in, in recent years when their cupboard was bare and they needed to cook up some ways to score points. This might have been the game to just say, all right, I could either bench my quarterback, my legendary quarterback uh, in his last game, or I could get weird. And he didn't do either, and, and you saw mm-hmm. how it turned out. Well, I, I think losing Deontay Harris could have um, hamstrung them there. I wouldn't. Oh, be man, super- he was like, he had he played the whole game? Who knows how this would have turned out? Right. He was the, expo- you know, it wasn't just uh, Breeze that was coming off an injury. Michael Thomas, you know, he's not, you know, known as an explosive receiver. Um, and I think that was diminished. Harris is a guy you could have imagined maybe they had some trick plays for. It's like if that, that, that um, block in the back that, that, was early Ooh. in the game on the Deontay Harris touchdown. I mean, that that Dude. was huge. When it was only 6 nothing, we we did our sky hit, Dan, and I remember talking like, I think the Bucks had to be thrilled it was only 6 nothing at that point because it felt like the history of this matchup and the rich. matchup advantage that the Saints ha- had in certain ways. Look, they did shut down Evans again. Antonio Brown gets hurt. He doesn't do anything. Uh, for a while, you know, the, you know they, they did a lot of the things that the Saints do. They got pressure on Brady. Um, but the Saints offense couldn't take advantage. That's that's the crazy thing. If you give Drew Brees this defense and running game like almost any other time in his career, they're they're winning some games. They, he only won two games in his career in a row in the playoffs one time. Shows you how hard it is to win games even when you do everything right. They put together this roster a couple of years too late. Michael Thomas shut out in this game. 
Zero catches on four targets. I mean, who would have thought that? This whole thing, you know, you get these things get drilled into your head down the stretch of a season. And when they put Thomas and IR um, to, for the final three games of the regular season, it was, okay, we want to get this guy right to make our Super Bowl run. You get to the playoffs, and then with the season online, Mark, it doesn't even have a catch. No, I, well, I, yeah. it, and we did our end of third quarter hit on Sky and mentioned that Antonio Brown, Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, and Mike Thomas – um, combined had 34 yards. So it was not what you got, you spend all week predicting. And I thought that the Jared Cook catch and fumble was, um, immense. I thought that that really got the Bucks rolling because they had a short field Killer. and punched it in. I mean, it's like one of those games where these two teams, they just dislike each other. I know that the Saints and the Bucks haven't been, you know, the, the, the Falcons and the Saints, especially, you know, in some, in the playoffs, but the nastiness, uh, you know, Ryan Jensen and these guys Chippy. just all CJ Gardner Johnson, who is, who I'm not sure he's ever been in a good mood for a day in his life, uh, seemed annoyed the entire game too. And let's talk West. I want to tee you up on this. Let's talk Tom Brady now. I, I know this wasn't obviously his greatest game ever, but something by something said by Joe Buck at the end of the telecast was just stunning to me. When you think about how hard it is to get to Championship Sunday, uh, which is where the Bucks are heading for the first time since they won the Super Bowl almost 20 years ago, Tom Brady is going to his 14th conference championship game. 14th. The first 13, obviously, in New England. And what a unbelievable... Uh, in, in addition to being an all-time great quarterback and no one has more rings than him, the the deft move to move to the NFC, move to this particular team, and now be in a position to get back to the Super Bowl with a date against Aaron Rodgers, of all people, in the NFC title game. I mean, there's just never been a career like this dude. No, we've, we've said it a number of times. The most amazing thing about his career is you could split it in half you know, at 2010, and he'd have two Hall of Fame careers. And <laughs> that's just an unbelievable statement about a player. that He could have two Hall of Fame careers, 14 conference championship games. Amazing. Um, and I'll let Greg speak a little bit more about it because that's been his guy up close and personal. Well, I, th- I think what you saw tonight was, you know, it wasn't his best night, but – there were a couple throws. The throw Godwin couldn't pull in for the touchdown before half. Um, the Tyler Johnson throw that Johnson made an unbelievable play on on third down, a back shoulder throw. I mean, he's got the arm strength. And I think his ability to adjust in games, and you know, you have to give his coaches some credit with that too, but you know, I think it's more Brady than the coaches, is unparalleled. I, if you keep – if when they were stopping him over and over, eventually I, I just was like, they can't stop him all game. And I think it was the running game that was a huge, huge part of that. And that's Brady, you know, at, at least gets some of the credit there, changing the plays and continuing to run. And, and Aikman was all over it with Rojo and, and Leonard Fournette. To me, it, it, starting with the second the, the last drive in the second quarter, like he started just taking profits. Instead of going bombs away on third and short, which they did like four times, and it was not working. They started getting those five and six yard gains. It was his old sort of game manager stuff. I mean, but the, the thing with Brady, I think that gets overlooked and people be like, okay, you know, he didn't really have that good a game. Brady's lucky. The, 
But he got them to this game to let the defense in running game get. I mean, that's the thing is you like survive each week. You you get them. You're going to carry them some weeks. Look at the Bills. It's like their defense carried carried the show. Like that's what great quarterbacks do. They figure out how to get you to the next week, and and it, and they'll probably not get into the Super Bowl unless he puts up thirty or forty. And so next week is the week he's going to have to light it up. It was vintage though. It really. If you've been following this guy's career. Um, and I say this both in a positive way and, and, and you could view it as a negative way. There were some balls that if he wasn't a more fortunate person, uh, this game could be very different. Didn't work out with some interceptions that were dropped or uh, plays that were called back on review, things of that nature. Um, but at the same time, and I texted Keith Hansis, uh this um, in the fourth quarter, once it got to 2020, just like Tom Brady's been winning this exact type of game in January for literally two decades. And you just kind of had a feeling Drew that... Drew Brees has not. Well, well, yes, that, yeah, that's fair too. But Brady has done this for so long, it didn't, it, it didn't feel like it was a 43-year-old quarterback hanging on. It was just like, no, he's going he's gonna to take this team where it needs to go. It wasn't, he wasn't the driving force behind this win, but he played his role uh, as he always does. Mm. I mean... Uh... Like the the Gronk, like when he was missing throws to Gronk, like for a second and started feeling like okay maybe he's a little older and they they're both like well into the Gabbard zone Breeze and Brady, um you know four to five yards per attempt you know two and a half quarters in the game but then Brady makes makes the plays late and when I saw you know people got in my mentions about about like it's like. Yeah, Brady's looking his age like he's throwing the ball like a fifty year old. It's like watch the games. Like that is the difference between him and Rivers and Breeze and and Ben Roethlisberger. His arm is awesome. I mean, he is throwing dimes out there week in week out. I'm not saying he's exactly the same player, but he if you protect him, he his you, arm strength and it, even his foot feet look okay right now. Like you know his how arm Twitter works. Outrageous. Though. Yeah, you know how Twitter works, Greg. It's just people wanted to get off their geezer bowl jokes and yes, all that yes, at the expense yes. of actually analyzing what was happening. Well, th- that will be their last comment to Greg because he is a <laughs> muter and he's probably muted four or five hundred people. Today. I mean, I by the end of the game, guy. we might be Tom, muted. I was muted. That guy was well, muted. Not of Tom Brady muted. is Come like high fiving the ref or attempting to by the end of the game. So I mean, it couldn't have been a different final image of these two quarterbacks. Mm. Wes, before you do go, I, I'm curious who you'd rather see in another Super Bowl. I'm guessing Rodgers now that I asked the question, but oh yeah, without question, it's been Rodgers all year from week one. Yeah, that makes sense. He's been playing quarterback honestly at a level to where you can almost count the number of mistakes he's made this year. It, on yes. one hand, and we're gonna mm-hmm. and we're gonna get to that. It's it's the first time, really. Jeez, you think about it with Aaron Rodgers, we're gonna get to it. But he's gonna be a favorite. They're a prohibitive favorite, I think, going into this game against the Bucks. Even though you saw, you know, great performance of uh, Tampa Bay defense, this feels like it's Green Bay's conference to win now. Uh, but you don't discount. The Tom Brady team in January. Right. Plus, some of those some of those Aaron Rodgers mistakes came against these Bucks. Right, and so, that feels um, like five years ago. But yeah, I don't, I don't put too much into that game. But it does. It added so much value for Brady going to the Bucks too. I'm with you, Dan. I mean, I, I don't think it would have gone well in New England, and I'm enjoying watching him play like this more, more even than I expected. But doesn't it add so much value that you're getting this Brady Breeze matchup in the playoffs? That you're getting this Brady Rogers thing. Great. It's like it's like LeBron going to the Western Conference, and it just makes the whole setup, I think, fresher and and more exciting. I talked about it on the network show on Friday. This is kind of the end of the old guard for a lot of guys. Philip Rivers on the way out. Big Ben on the way out. One and done. Drew Brees, obviously his career 
is now looking to be over. Uh, but then you have Tom Brady holding it down for the old guys and Aaron Rodgers on his way uh, to uh, the Super Bowl, potentially. Last thing before um, you go, Wes, I'm going to ask Greg a question, and then you tell me uh, your thoughts as well. Greg. No. Bill, Bill Belichick is watching going. this game. No, no, you don't know what I'm going to ask. Bill Belichick is watching this game because the guy loves football. His one true love, well, Linda, he loves Linda. But his, his truest love, his deepest love is the game of football. So he's watching the divisional round playoffs. Is he rooting for or against Tom Brady tonight? Mm, that's a tough one. Because his gonna, legacy and I his I thought you were going to say, like, is, is, is Belichick exposed? Um, that's not, no, that's not what I was doing. <laughs> although that's fair, too. Okay, go on. I don't know. What kind of question? I don't know. It's a I hard answer, one. One you don't want to answer. answer. He keeps answer. you. Well, here's why. Because I think he keeps the public, including me, on so so far on the outside that I have no idea what this man is uh, truly. This actually like, made you uncomfortable, this question. That's how I know I I'm going to say he's rooting for Brady. I mean, what, I, he's not a Breeze guy. I think he's rooting Brady. He is absolutely rooting for Brady. They are too much invested together. And they're both successful enough, big enough men that they can look beyond any differences that caused the breakup and appreciate what they had together <laughs> for two decades. You, I have been doing this podcast. I've done twelve hundred episodes with Greg. I've never seen him so happy as. Uh, well, I played it. That, I played it perfectly. Take. Because here, Wes gave Wes giving the answer makes it like way more legitimate than if I had said that. And, and so am it, I, was, it ended up being perfect. I don't, Dan. I don't think you were expecting that as the outcome, maybe, or were you? Or no, what, no. You making know. Greg squirm is great. I, I'm not surprised exactly with Wes's answer. I don't agree with Wes's answer, but really, the how Greg reacted to Wes's answer, the whole thing was just a big W, ultimately. <laughs> um, Wes, that's why you're the host. Again. You've said it all. You're the king, and we love you. Love you guys, too. All right. There See we go. See you, Wes. Thanks, Wes. Get some rest after another MVP performance by the mailman. We're just getting started. Uh, let's now dig into uh, the first Sunday game and the last game, sadly, uh, for Mark's favorite team. They snap it. They're going for it. They flood it right. Caught Tyreek Hill. Stays in bounds. The same play that they closed the game out against New Orleans. They do it to Cleveland. And Chad Henney out of the bullpen. Incredible job on a third and 14 scramble for 15. They called 13 and a half. Comes back on a roll to the right side. Deking Cleveland into thinking they were going to run the clock. And they find Tyreek Hill on the right flat. The Kansas City Chiefs are going to advance in the AFC playoffs. Mitch Holtis. Pumped up, as you'd expect, for WDAF. Andy Reid. Big Red. Bigger onions. With Patrick Mahomes in the locker room with a concussion, Andy Reid risked it all with a fourth and short pass attempt by journeyman Chad Henney, who rewarded his coach's faith with a strike to Tyreek Hill to send the Chiefs back to the AFC Championship game for the third straight year. Final score, Chiefs 22, Browns 17 at Arrowhead. And Mark, your boys from Cleveland, they nearly pulled it off. They fought and they battled back from 19-3, but it just wasn't meant to be. Yeah, I thought it was um, a case of almost student meets master in terms of Kevin Stefanski. Um, I think all year long regarded as an aggressive um, 
play caller, a talented play caller who put the Browns in good situations. Uh, and Andy Reid, the master, I, I don't think Stefanski won this matchup. Uh, there were too many just little mistakes for the Browns. And, you know, it, watching this thing, when they lost Jed Wills, uh, their left tackle on the, like the first play out of the, out of the gate, that was concerning to me. Um, that I don't know if that caused total problems, but there was a lot more pressure on Baker Mayfield this week than there was last week against Pittsburgh when there was essentially none. And it was just the little things, you know, that when I, watching this team all year, when they're, when they're flowing well and when they're in sync, um, their best players are doing things that Browns fans haven't watched players on that team do a long time. That wasn't the case today. I mean, they made a couple plays, but... It was these uncharacteristic sort of back-to-back drops by Nick Chubb that I thought just killed them. Um, a couple moments where their wanting defense just couldn't get to the edge to shut down the Tyreek Hills uh, of the world of the world. And uh, you know, to Stefanski, um, there was uh, I thought a, a catch he should have challenged where they didn't get the flag out on time, and a catch they shouldn't have challenged where I think they just didn't have a good look at it and they did and they lost that challenge. Uh, there were timeout, the timeout situation in the fourth quarter where Baker took, was forced to take a timeout because they were disorganized. Um, I thought that it just, all those little moments, um, served to really, uh, wreak havoc on them and their mm. chances to win. And I'm not even talking about the biggest play of the game, which was the Donovan Peoples Jones, or, or sorry, the Rashard Higgins, um, catch and fumble that went out of the end zone where to me it looked like a helmet to helmet hit. There, there were a couple things happening there. I, you, I'll let you guys wait on that. That rule bugs me, but I think it bugs everyone. Um, but that's the way it is. I think the better team won in the way that how aggressive they were with Henny. Um, it says a lot about the Chiefs, and it gives a lot the Browns a lot to think about uh, during a long off season. I mean, it it says so much because everything you say is is right, Mark, and yet it's third third and fourteen there with you know a little over two and a half to go, and Chad Henney's at quarterback, and you're thinking, well, Baker's going to get the ball back with enough time um, to go try to win the game with a touchdown, and for, <laughs> it, for Andy Reid to call a pass on that play is is ballsier to me than calling uh, the fourth and one call where Henny throws it. How about the call that he trusts Chad Henny to throw it on second and eight, the play before that, where they're running it well, where Henny does take the sack. That, that, that to me was almost like you're getting crazy here. It, you're showing a lack of faith in a run game that struggled all year, but actually was <laughs> what good. What about the deep shot on first and 20 at, at the 40 <laughs> with a chance to get an all-important field goal and drown the clock? Now, now that that too, like it, it, it was all crazy. I mean, like there was all. I don't think it was crazy. I think it was Andy Reid doing what the Chiefs do best, which is throw the football. And Henny earned some of that faith because, other than that interception, he played about as well as you could have wanted. There was a third and five where he made a great decision to keep that winning drive going uh, or that final drive going to Damian Williams. There was another BB to Travis Kelsey uh, over the middle that, that that set up their field goal. I mean, Henny made some nice made some nice throws, but man, Andy Reid. To me, he's just like the ultimate pass first. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go down passing because the numbers say it. It's a passing league, and I, I don't care what you say. I'm gonna keep Brian Westbrook on the field all the time in key situations. People have been killing Andy Reid about this for 20 years, and I feel like the NFL is kind of like starting to catch up with Andy Reid. The rest of the NFL now looks more like the Chiefs. You say that what the Chiefs do best is throw the football. Yes. With Patrick Mahomes. But when <laughs> right. Patrick Mahomes goes out of the game with that very strange, by the way, concussion, because we've right. sadly seen it, seen 
hundreds and hundreds of concussions over the years, enough to know the telltale signs, uh, whether it's a helmet-to-helmet hit or a helmet smacking the turf. Uh, Mahomes' hit was strange, but he came up and he, he looked like uh, he was you know in another universe and he was out of the game at, at the third quarter. So when you enter Chad Henney, who before the Week 17 meaningless start hadn't played since 2014, it's crazy. And then you're putting the game in his hands in that situation. Um, I tweeted right before uh, the third and long at the end of the game there. I said, Chiefs fans, everybody wants Andy not to throw it. Hand the ball off. And if you just play conservative, you can get the ball back to your defense. Um, up five with the Browns hopefully inside their own 20 with no timeouts and 80 seconds to play. And and yet he said, no, I'm going to go for it. It was onions at a level that rivals really Today anything. Today show you a little bit of our grown huge onions. That I can remember. And after the game, Honey Badger, who, by the way, played awesome when we're getting to the Chiefs' performance from their stars on defense in a second. Here's what uh, Honey Badger had to say about Andy Reid's play calling at the end. Hey, man, that, that's why we love Big Red. You know, he's always on time. You know, um, he's like our spirit warrior out here, you know, behind the scenes. You know, he's always firing us up. But we, we always know he got one play in the chamber, you know. <laughs> <laughs> one play in the chamber. Mm. I, I love the point Romo made. Great job all day by Romo, too. I mean. Killed it. God, I love I love listening to him. He just learned so much. But the, the way that they, you know, approached that play on fourth and one and intentionally tried to look lackadaisical, I mean, that's practiced. That that was part right. of it. They tried to look lackadaisical coming into it, and I and I do believe what Romo said, where it, it was if they got a certain look, which is basically you know Tyreek having leverage on the outside to basically anyone. Like if if that was the the lineup, go do it. You know, Chad Eddy's a professional. He's actually looked. I know it's such a small sample size, but when he came in late in some of these blowouts. He looked he looked good this year and maybe that helped give him a little confidence. You know, Matt Moore coming in last year playing well. It's like it's not just Matt Patrick Mahomes that makes uh, this team go and uh I think that should be a lesson for coaches cuz uh you do what 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 got you there. And there were some offensive teams like like the Titans and and to a lesser extent, the Steelers, who... I mean, the Steelers didn't punt in that situation down two scores <laughs> with 15 minutes left in the game. It's like... I mean, the, the Steelers did punt in that situation. It's crazy. Did you have a problem with Cleveland punting when they did? With about five minutes to go? I didn't hate it, What was but the setup again? It, it was, was, I believe, third and five or so? It was their own 40 yards. It was fourth and nine. No, but fourth I hated nine. how slow that... They spent almost four minutes to go 11 yards. And that was right. from from the first second. That seems so obvious. Like you're you're playing like you're ahead. I know Chad Henney's on the other side, and I did think when they punted. I wonder if they would have punted if Mahomes was still playing. My, I would think no. Um, well, I don't think you could. And, I mean, and I also, think, I they it had Mahomes been playing the whole time. It would be a different they, game, yes. right? I mean, they, that's the thing. It's like from a Cleveland side, you got to come out of this saying, "There's no question the better team won." Um, you, it would have been a little suspicious, I think. Uh, the, you know, going forward. For the narrative of Cleveland won because Chad Henney was in there. Um, I, I I think this is a Browns team that fought this Chiefs team. I mean, it is. It was kind of my first experience watching the team I'm rooting for deal with the Chiefs. And like, tr- I, I mean, Travis Kelsey was driving me nuts. Tyreek Hill was driving me absolutely crazy. And I know you 
guys, I love Romo too, all right? But when you're on the wrong end of a game and Romo is like a giddy schoolgirl at the end of the thing, I was like, get this guy off. I mean, Simone's like, I thought you loved Tony Romo. I'm like, I do love Tony Romo. It's driving me nuts right now. Get him out of here. He does. Like, Romo's, I don't want to hear about this guy. Because he's, he's excited like, about football. But yeah, the Romo, Chiefs, are, I, I know, the Chiefs make know. you excited. And yeah. he's a quarterback. And I, he said it twice, I think, in the first quarter alone. Um, he's in love with Mahomes as a quarterback, and he, he me- mentioned be? his instincts specifically, his ability. And I, I thought it was, uh, oh man, it was sad to see him first get hobbled with a toe injury, and you don't know what that is—if that's turf toe, which is uh, can be a debilitating yep. injury uh, for anyone—and now he's got the head injury. So that's you know obviously a big subplot now as we head towards the AFC title game. Mahomes' availability, I, I I would think. I don't want to read too much into this and, and be the Twitter neurologist, but the fact that he was tweeting like repeatedly after the game and doing bits about Chad Henney uh, on Twitter that Henny maybe thing that, is possible. I thought if you're if you're up bringing that kind possible. of wit right. to Twitter, maybe you are. Somebody said he's a little young for dad jokes, but the point is that he wasn't, you know, uh, curtains closed in a dark room, not knowing where he was. We'll see. Uh, hopefully, we as much as we respect what Chad Henney did today, uh, we don't need to see any more Chad Henney in our lives. Um, Mark, did you have any other issues with... Because I didn't... Yeah, I would think this is a game I'd like to kind of go back and watch. I, I feel like Stefanski, if he could do some di- things differently, he would. Nick Chubb did not have a good first half. He had those drops, couldn't get things going on the ground. And Kareem Hunt wasn't in the game plan at all. That that was on my radar a little bit. Did you have any issues with how he deployed some of his playmakers? I, I, I totally agree with you. I, I, my thought, you know, because this wasn't a game where I took extensive notes just because I was like, I'm going to... This could be over real soon. I want to just experience this. But my one thought, you know, throughout the game was that the Chiefs' defense, which was just nasty, I thought, today, when it needed to be, had a better plan for Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt than the Browns did. I mean, at least the way it played out in the wash. I mean, there was a couple – there was a pocket of about 10, 12 minutes – um, where Chubb really got going and Hunt had a couple plays too, but you'd have to say overall um, that you know I think they had like combined 12, 18 yards at halftime. It, there's games like that where they've not they just not followed the script you'd expect, and it's not because they were smarter than the competition. And so um, it's a it's a stepping stone, but they met the best team in the AFC, and I think maybe the Chiefs felt a little bit. Uh, I don't know, maybe we just put this on these teams, but it's like. Oh, maybe the Rams can challenge the Packers and like look at the Browns are frisky. Maybe they it's like and the Chiefs are the Chiefs are kinda like, um, yeah, we haven't played in a while with our starters, but <laughs> don't forget about us because we still can drop the hardest hammer in the league if we want to. Well, I think the, I think the Chiefs taking the early lead was significant because, you know, the Browns do shorten games. That's a cliche that's true. But you short when you shorten them. And you're behind, and they shorten them on both sides because they play a slow-paced defense that sort of asks the other team to go on these long drives, and they couldn't, it couldn't hold up in the red zone. So the, the Browns had three drives in the first half. They only had seven in the whole game, and and you're right. You kind of look at the run-pass balance, and Baker ends up throwing 37 times and under average. You know, I thought Baker threw the ball great, but he averaged under six yards per attempt. So ultimately, it wasn't a great you know day throwing the ball. Landry. I mean, he had seven catches for for twenty yards. You, you know, Hooper right. makes that one play finally, but they got a little out of balance. But it's partly because you're you're behind. I I do think it was a missed opportunity, though. I'm with you, Mark, that the better team won. Um, and w- I just don't think the Browns were going to win the Super Bowl with this defense. And I think that that no. that showed today. That said, when Matthew got the interception, and it's nineteen three, and the Browns force a three and out. 
uh, and they missed the field goal. Like the defense showed you something. The Chiefs didn't score a touchdown the whole second half. And so the defense kind of did give them a, the, their offense a chance. They're entering the fourth quarter. You're only down five, and, and Mahomes is out. I mean, they they had they had a chance here to, to win this game at least. It would have been. And tough I don't want to keep twist the knife, but on the other end of it, when it's twenty two seventeen and Henny throws that punt, and Lamar Jackson pumped his fist because it's no longer the worst interception of the playoffs. <laughs> Uh, it felt like it was the, the everything was aligned at that point, and I thought I thought for for sure uh, Baker Mayfield was going to lead him down the field there, and they don't they they move the ball methodically and then punt it away and never get uh, the ball back. And I just before we we move on, we should touch on the Rashard Higgins play because it was sixteen three late in the second quarter. The Browns are getting the ball on the other side of the half as well, and Mayfield throws a strike to Higgins, who loses control of the ball just shy of the goal line, sputtered out of the end zone and through the back uh, through the, you know, side of the end zone with a Brown by the way. It should be noted, crashing in, ready to scoop the ball up but it bounces the wrong way. And it, it's a touchback. I know there was um heat about they thought it was a dirty um hit by the Chiefs, uh Daniel Sorensen, Dirty Dan as he's known by some. Um I didn't see it quite that way, but I, I could understand why someone would see that see that as an illegal hit. Um but mostly I, I again not to belabor this, but this is such a bad rule. It's just gotta be changed. It's way too it's way too aggressive a penalty on a team. Uh and it, it cost the Browns in a big way. That could have been sixteen ten with the Browns having the ball to start the third quarter, and yet uh it wasn't. I thought Bill Cower um, had a good suggestion, I and mean, maybe he's not the first person to suggest this, but that the penalty could say the offense, instead of the defense getting the ball at the 20, the offense gets pushed back to the 20, and it's like, all right, look, it's, 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 it's a really steep penalty, and it would be like, it's rare, and yet you're, it, it shouldn't swing the game the way it does. And I, I'm not saying it's a dirty hit, but just it was a helmet-to-helmet hit. And right, by, it was a it wasn't dirty, but it was a penalty. Right, just by the by the. I think a lot of I, I watch a lot of helmet to helmet stuff, and I'm ah! like, you try to teach like we get it. You, you try to de- teach a defensive player soaring in to move his head. I mean, it seems ridiculous. You're going to get these penalties, but Sorensen, he's got a little bit of a history. Dirty well, you, he, right? It was so, he, that's he what dove. They call me. He dove. Different reasons. He dove. I um. <laughs> I do want to give some. Lo- you you mentioned Honey Badger. I, it occurred to me during this game because someone t- tweeted about it, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, that's right!" Like, he—I think he someday I think he might be a Hall of Famer. Like, he's got to keep like going through this, but doing this in key spots, man, he was all over the place. And th- they pay a few guys so much money; they're so top heavy. Their roster, Honey Badger's one of them, and like he earned that. And Chris Jones—I don't think he dominated today, but I thought he got pretty good pressure, and he made the two key plays that stopped that fourth quarter. Drive and so it's like well that's why you pay him twenty five million dollars and uh, and I do want to apologize a lot of people in my Twitter mentions I've been asking all playoff long Austin Hooper make a play make a playoff made a play. my God he made a play to keep Great their play. season that they could have been moving on because of that Austin Hooper play so the Browns came close but uh, just the beginning hopefully Mark again you can't make assumptions and just assume an organization is just going to continue on an upward trajectory but history in all sports uh, all the great teams almost always and well almost always is strong but in many many cases there is that crushing playoff loss 
uh, when the team's on the rise and then you grow and you build off that and then you're back in that spot the following year and you find a way to climb the hill. Hopefully that's where the Browns are. And Mark, this is more because we all love Tony Romo. And we love football, and it was an exciting end of the game. This is you can feel free to take out your earpiece for this part. Romo's no, okay. call with Jim Nance <laughs> was excellent on the final play with Chad Henney. So uh, I asked Ricky to cut that as well. Let's listen in. Right here, Andy Reid, really smart. Send everybody out there. You got guts, right? You're trying to draw them off, draw them off sides. Take a timeout. Take it down. Let the clock click. Try and draw them off sides. Hey, hold on, hold they put Henney in the gun. Walk up, pretend like you're going to go ahead and quarterback sneak it, motion him back, try and draw him off sides, and then take a timeout. You walk up there and say, no play, everybody. Don't jump. There's no play. Just look at the body language. There is a play. Henny rolling out, throws it. Hill! And the Chiefs are heading to the AFC Championship game. Only Andy Reid gets a shotgun on the floor of He's number one, Greg. That is impossible. I've never seen that. He's he's my number one in the power. He he does that stuff. I mean, can you see my point a little bit though? Yes. In my house, I'm just like, of course, you know, he loves it. All I hear is Mark sucks. Mark sucks. Mark (laughs) sucks. Like that's all I'm listening to. But uh, when I hear it, I think Andy Reid onions for days and days and days. Let's move on. Lamar Jackson is going to try and get this in the end zone himself. Third and goal at the nine for the snap. Lamar Jackson back to throw. Now it's Greg's lowest moment. Intercepted. Two (laughs) yards deep in the end zone. Intercepted by Taron Johnson. And he brings it out. And he's still on the run. He may go all the way. He's at the ball below 40. See, when your team goes 2-14, and you can never get hurt. 10-5. Touchdown! Touchdown! Taron Johnson goes 102 yards with an end zone interception. Touchdown, Buffalo! John Murphy with the call, WGR. Yep, it's the biggest swing play in football. The end zone interception that then goes back all the way 100 yards to the house. Teron Johnson pulled it off, that 14-point play for the Bills, the deciding play in a 17-3 win over the Ravens in raucous Orchard Park. You know, it's just like 10,000 fans there, but they uh, really announced their presence with authority in a big spot. Uh, Lamar Jackson was the man who threw that killer pick, and then he was forced out of the game on the next series with a head injury on a shotgun snap that went over his head. He gets slammed down in the end zone. Tough situation. Hate to see it. Uh, That is the latest disappointment in his playoff career. Greg, Josh Allen has been the face of Bill's glory this season, but it's the defense that got them to the AFC Championship. Yeah, it was that play. That play and the injury. I mean, they're, the drive leading up to it, which, you know, there's only two drives in the whole third quarter. The Bills get that first touchdown of the game to get to 10-3. And Lamar makes a, you know, bad read. It's a pick six. And that was that was it. It was like, it's very, I would have liked to see what Lamar Jackson could have done down two touchdowns there. It, you know, definitely robbed us um, of any chance of that. And this was a team that almost lost to the Colts because of bad snaps. Did lose to the Patriots because of bad snaps. And then the guy they brought in for the bad snap guy comes in, and he was having bad snaps all last night. There was you know, three or four of them. Uh, it's disappointing. I mean, we had a weekend where Mahomes and Jackson get concussed. That said, it, like, it wasn't happening for the Ravens offense. They had, they had three points there through, through three quarters, and 
they didn't really have um, a move to go to in terms of their outside running. I was so surprised they kept going with these condensed formations running up the middle, and it, it just it wasn't working. I thought they would spread them out and try to run. Didn't do that. They, they obviously weren't able to throw the ball. Neither were the Bills, frankly. I mean, the Bills had 220 yards. <laughs> they got outgained yeah, right. by 100 plus again in a game like that was by far the worst game uh, by the Bills offense all year. I think it was, you know, a great performance uh, by the Ravens defense, but the Bills defense was better and they did, their quarterback didn't make the killer mistake Lamar did. And that was it. I mean, if someone told Wink Martindale, Ravens defensive coordinator, you're going to allow 10 points to the Bills offense. Right. You'd be thinking we're this will be a crushing um, but the Ravens, and it's, you know, it was a different game than their last playoff loss, but the mistakes came from all over the place, and the wind was a huge factor in Justin Tucker missing two field goals, um, but he also just missed them. They had a terrible shanked punt. Um, J.K. Dobbins had a terrible drop at one point. There was a really costly personal foul. There was the Lamar Jackson interception. I don't know. I mean, it's like... They didn't play a complete game. And I, I think Leslie Frazier, the Bills defensive coordinator, I mean, these two coordinators both came in with great plans. And Leslie Frazier, who I, you know, I don't think has gotten mentioned on our show once all year. And I get it because, you know, he's sort of like the head coach. It's not been the story went, there. Well, there wasn't yeah. much of a story. But I mean, but when they needed, when they needed that defense to step up and, play its best game of the year um, and really to scheme really well against the Ravens yep. and understand what the Ravens do, diagnose it and execute. Um, that's what the Bills defense did. I mean, this was not, this was a below middle of the road performance by their offense. It was, it was a costly performance by their offense until I think that the one little thing, and then I'll, then I'll shut up. The one little thing is that the confidence that Josh Allen has in Stefan Diggs seems just to, to dig them out of so many holes in nice. time because it like, it took so long to get going, but he found them and Diggs started to make huge plays. And so it's like, it was enough. It was enough. Um, on a night where it wouldn't have been if the Ravens been less mistake prone. Yeah, I didn't mean that in a negative way towards Leslie Frazier. It's just that when you've talked about the rise of the Bills, it's been about Josh Allen entirely and and Brian Dable and what they've been able to do. And and Frazier has flown under the radar. And like Wink Martindale, for instance, like you said, you know, if you ask him how he feels right now, I shut down the Tennessee Titans with their two thousand yard rusher and the forty touchdown quarterback. I completely shut down. The Josh Allen Bills had been unstoppable. Uh, I, I'm getting introduced to somebody else's head coach next week. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I'm picking out a new suit. That's not <laughs> happening, but uh, that's just the way it goes. Didn't um, get an interview. Yes, on the on the Ravens side, and again, the dysfunctional offense. Um, and you're right, Greg. It, we were robbed as fans, and Lamar Jackson was robbed of the chance to uh, find a way to dig out of that hole and, and find a way to win that game. But there's also the, the chance, based on evidence we've seen, that they just weren't going to get it going in that game. And Part uh, of the reason is because you saw Tyler Huntley in the running game get it going a little bit at the end, and just the Bills' defense hasn't been shut down all year. That 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 You're right. If, it, if, if you had just told me then, I was like, well, he wasn't coming back anyways. But after watching them move the ball with Huntley, then you're like, oh, that would have been nice. Right. They nearly there. got this game to 17-10 <laughs> with Huntley, and then all of a sudden he put the pressure back on the Bills, but they couldn't punch it in. Here's what Hollywood Brown said today. Uh, when talking about the offense, and this I think speaks to well, for Hollywood talks a lot, so you got to keep that in mind. But also sometimes when players speak out to the media, it speaks to something going on in the locker room. Whenever you're the number one rushing offense and the thirty-something passing team, that's not right. 
That's not balanced. We got to find a way to balance our game. Even with our great rushing attack, we got to be able to throw the ball and be able to move the ball through the air. And and the truth is, Hollywood Brown is not part of the problem, but he's a great number two, I feel like. They need a number one wide receiver. Stepped up, though. Usually we give guys he, yes. credit for playing their best in the playoffs, and he had two big That's games. That's true. Again. And not just the playoffs, and like the whole stretch run when the Ravens got hot through the playoffs, Brown was great. But they do need another receiver. And whether it's on Greg Roman or on Lamar Jackson, and really it's on both, they need to find a way uh, to to shed this image of a team that doesn't know how to pivot when things go sideways. Because look, it happened again now, Greg. I know he's your boy, and I know people – it happens on football Twitter. Excuses seem to get made for Lamar Jackson. Three years in a row, you're asking questions about this offense at the end of their season. Absolutely. I think there there might be time for John Harbaugh to make a bold change. And it's it's tough because Roman, I think, has done a good job. But sometimes, like, you make the change then before it goes really south. People a lot smarter than I, you know, that actually were on NFL teams, <laughs> you know, really talk about, like, look, they brag about how they have 5,000 running plays, and there's a reason why they're so good and diverse. It's like, that's what they spend their time on. Like, that takes away the time, especially in a year like this, where you are not building up your passing game to be as diverse and have as many levels to it. And I think that's that's what they're going to need, ultimately, uh, eventually. And and it wasn't there. I mean, you you do Blanche a little bit at because you see it's like, okay, he threw for seven yards per 10. Like, they, they weren't a great passing game last night by any means, Jackson. But they made about the same amount of plays passing as the Bucks and the Saints and, and the Bills and, like, all these other teams. Uh, but they are too one-dimensional. Hollywood Brown is right. I mean, if you're that easy to score, self scout or to scout that's a problem the bills were awfully confident coming into this game and they did a great job shutting lamar on the ground that was really the key for the second straight time they did it a year ago too it does seem like certain teams come in on defense feeling extremely confident about stopping lamar jackson and this team and this team at times and it you know another off season and another year is this offense going to grow and going to continue to trick people change um, it do it up you have do to, a total you have to. change Willie Sneed said it was a wake-up call for Lamar Jackson. And they're very close friends, and he was just like, I think this game served as that for him. So I don't think he escapes without critique. Um, it's, you know, I, maybe maybe just by the nature of their offense, he's given a little more bandwidth than others, but his, um, yeah, his it third, seems that way sometimes. After after this latest disappointment, it's the, I feel like what we're going to be talking about is change the offense, Fix it, make it more explosive, get better playmakers, change up the scheme a little bit. So Lamar does have that cover. If they do do that, and then he continues to struggle on the stage in January, there's going to be no one else to blame but Lamar Jackson. I'm just saying. It was saying. like in this game, though, saying. it really was that one. It's crazy that it's that one play because they had such a similar drive. But that's what the, the playoffs is. So many I know, times. but I'm saying it comes some, down yeah, to that. It absolutely. But like the, the Bills get down in the red zone, they run it in there quickly. And the the Lamar gets the third down and he and he makes he makes a bad throw there but, makes a bad read and, and suddenly and it happens to be returned and then the game the game is over. He's also knocked out by concussion, which we mentioned. But it's like he did he what what if what what if he had right. been in at there at the end and changed this? He just Tucker's got to hit those kicks. Like you know, there's there's just a little there's a little bit of everything that happens in these playoff games. That's why we love the playoffs is we end up like dissecting every little thing and and what is that game like? You know, if they don't make some of the mental errors, some of which were 
we're absolutely on Lamar, too. Thanks for bringing it up, Greg. Let's head into the Kicker Club. I'm always surprised. I have to say, legitimately, on, on this Twitter. This club is a mess right now. My <laughs> mentions, people really are interested in the Kicker Club and what's happening and who has status and who's going in and out. Check it out right now. Listen to this place. It's the Upside Down. When Justin Tucker puts two off the uprights, people are saying, kick Justin Tucker out of the kicker. Hell no. He, he's my co-owner of the place. I mean, that is the greatest kicker ever. But that just speaks to the, the strange, strange vibe around the Ravens in that game. Eerie, eerie stuff in the kicker club. Windy. Was windy. Was right. Windy. Do you ever have like the, the backyard... Sort of courtyard secret parties at the Kickers Club where the wind is gusting like 50 miles an hour. That's sort of the scenario that Tucker found himself in. I know. I, I It actually does. It did cross my mind after the second missed kick. Is like, is Justin Tucker my favorite player in the NFL? Because I was legitimately hurting. Definitely. When he missed I that mean, kick. definitely of the non Jets. And I don't even know who's I mean, your favorite because Jet of the right Jets now. being so, you know, terrible. I, I don't. I mean, I love Stan Darnold. I want him to succeed. Um, but uh, I think Justin Tucker is like in terms of star players, like who do I root for? It's it's a kicker, I think. Anyway, so weird stuff. We should the give the Bills club. fans a little more love, and the Bills too. I do feel like we've gone negative. It was a weird game. It was a great defensive performance. Um, like McDermott built up this defense from 2017 on, and this is what I think his he's made his money doing. And Frazier and Brandon Bean and those guys they drafted all came through with huge performances. So that's that is how you win a Super Bowl is like winning it different ways. Like the first game you give up 475 yards and you're and you're like, you know, all pro type quarterback wins the game by himself for you. The next game the defense goes and wins it. How how are you going to win the next one? Like that is how you get through four rounds and Milano and Jerry Hughes who's been there forever and Edmonds and Trey White had a good game and the safeties like they they stepped up and won the game. And so that's a credit. I know Bills fans they don't that's care how they're gonna, they're not they don't care how they're going to win the game. They they that, are loving this game. I will say that is glass half full. The glass half empty look is that they've won two playoff games. Uh, and you, you know, either game could have gone the other way because they and haven't put together by a complete like effort. a combined two hundred yards right. in the, in the right. two games. So are they the, vulnerable to be uh, picked off uh, on Sunday, uh, this upcoming Sunday, by the Chiefs because they're not playing at that same level anymore they were at the end of the regular season, or is it just a matter of? And I'm probably more on this side of things. The competition sh- shoots through the roof in January. And you're the big dog that everybody's gunning for is the home playoff team. And those are hard games to win. And they've found a way to beat two very good teams in the Colts and Ravens. There is a little part of me, and the Chiefs fans are some of the best in the in the world, but I would have loved to see an AFC title game in Buffalo. Um, that the, the amount of noise they made when those kicks went sideways by Justin Tucker. I, I don't awesome. know if it's because, you know, you're used to no fans and suddenly you have 10,000. But everyone there was like, it sounds like seven earthquakes are occurring here. And that's the Bills fandom. And they'll get talked about a lot this week as they should. All right. There you go. So the Bill, a Bills-Browns AFC title game would have been nice, Mark. I know. Well, I, I am mean, ultimately, say, I am that's what you're saying that more at, as like the Bills home crowd. I'm not I coming in the back door with that. But imagine it that. Been, it, w- it really would have been nice, though. It would have been. I was would have been wild that. if I there was a been. scenario where the either the Browns fans or the Bills fans were getting ready for a Super Bowl. <laughs> uh, but also look at it this way, Mark. How about this? Tough loss, but such a sad, strange year uh, in 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 this country in this world. When the Browns get over the hump. 
you want to have that true vibe where the stadium's packed all season and, and maybe you have a home game in the AFC title game and you, and you, you're, and you see like Baker and, you know, Jarvis and maybe even Odell and Miles going around, uh, the concourse slapping five. And it's a, it's, it's not this strange speaking of upside down world we live in, but it has been nice. I have to say to get some fans in these stadiums. Hopefully it's in a safe way and these aren't people getting sick from going to these games. Uh, but to get the 10, 15,000 people in there has made a difference in the postseason. I am with you, and I would imagine that's actually what Cleveland's plan was. Let's slow play this and get back <laughs> there next so, year when the fans are in the stadium, yes. All right, our final game was the first game played uh, early Saturday. Rodgers takes, fakes the handoff, looks to throw, lofts it down the middle. Listen, it's done, and he's gone! He is gone! Touchdown! The Packers with a dagger, 31-18, Alan Lazard, 58 yards. Man, that's Wayne Larrabee, WTMJ. The Packers' offense is just, you know, impossible. Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams combined to go over 160 yards. With a touchdown, Aaron Rodgers was his masterful self. He had three touchdowns. And the Packers kind of cruised to a 32-18 win over the Rams at Lambeau. Green Bay punches its ticket to the NFC title game for the second straight year uh, where they will host the Bucks next Sunday. Yes, Aaron Rodgers against Tom Brady. How you like that uh, for the right to go to the Super Bowl? Mark, the Green Bay offense, which rolled up nearly 500 yards against the stout Rams defense, they, it can be a beautiful thing to watch. I, I enjoyed this game a lot more than I thought I would because of that exact um, factor that there's something about the Packers when they are clicking the way that they are. And I thought that West just spoke perfectly about Aaron Rodgers in his season that you could count his, you know, gaffes on, on, on one or two hands. Um, you knew early on that this was going to take something dynamic from the Rams on offense to keep up and nothing about the Rams offense suggested that was the case. And you throw in the fact that Aaron Donald just, um, you know, limited snaps, uh, you know, it, in a lot of pain, was not himself, ended the game shedding some tears. There's the play where Devontae Adams um, just got the best of Jalen Ramsey the Rams this year at this time um, are built around that. They're built around that, and they're built around Brandon Staley cooking up defenses, um, defensive schemes, and Brandon Staley is now going to, this, to the Los Angeles Chargers. So a lot's changing as we speak with that team. But, um, you know, I, I like the, Cam, you know, Cam Akers' uh, amazing effort. Lost in that is just that there are too many, you know, too much pressure on Goff. It got thrown to the, the turf so many times, and it just... Uh, at, at, at no point after about a quarter in did I thought this, this thought this game was out of question. It was just so Green Bay is too powerful, right? The the Rams kind of like the Browns at least before Mahomes you know left. You know felt like they were the inferior team and actually showed you know some of the reason they're in this spot and their fighting spirit to to even be competitive because I think if you played that game ten times with Aaron Donald not at a hundred percent and no Cooper Cup. I, I don't know if, how many of the Rams are that competitive. I mean, I just just wasn't going to happen. I I was still surprised to see how easily they went through the Rams defense. How consistently they did. this is a defense that didn't give up more than 400 yards one time all season. They gave up 485, and it was only in like eight or nine drives. This was another game that that was kind of shortened the game. Like Goff did everything he could, and it didn't matter. I think why Wes, you know, one of the reasons he loves Rodgers so much this year. It's such a combination of. 
you know, his athleticism and everything we've always loved about him and his, and his, you know, mental side of things. It's, it's kind of even easy guys are, guys are either open or he's just making decisions. Like I just, you've never seen guys this open for Aaron Rodgers, And he said it in the post game, like they missed a couple, even though they only had eight or nine drives, they really could have had two more touchdowns in this game. One of which turned into a field. Like they could have put up 40, on the number one defense in the league, and and I know it didn't play out this way all all weekend, but I'll take great offense over great defense any day. I thought season. about that <laughs> you saying that you know throughout the months, I, yeah. it just came to mind. And golf played pretty well in this game. Yeah, I mean, statistically, it's kind of a bummer when you look at it this weekend what came out of it when you had Patrick Mahomes going out of the a game we were all pumped to watch with the concussion. Lamar Jackson essentially takes the error. The air is taken out of the balloon with his concussion when that game was 17-3. And, you know, Cooper Cup's one thing. That's a big loss to their offense. But you take, Aaron, mm-hmm. you take Aaron Donald um, and put him in such a compromised state uh, in that game. He's coming in and out of the game, obviously struggling with the rib injury, crying after the game as the clock ticks down to zeros. Because I think, you know, don't want to play psychologist here, but you get the vibe that, like, he knew – uh, to get this team past the Packers into the Super Bowl, they needed him to deliver the type of performance that's that he's been doing his whole career. It's going to put him in the Hall of Fame, and he physically could not do it. And that had to be so deeply frustrating on top of just the feelings of knowing that your season is now over. And the other thing to take away from the game and, and some comments that have come out of Los Angeles since the loss um, make me think about it even more is – so, yeah, Los Angeles defense, which was great all year, didn't have what it took to hang with Aaron Rodgers in this game without Aaron Donald. Um, okay. Now, in the past with the Sean McVay offense, all is not lost because it's okay. Okay, so the defense isn't going to carry us. We're going to score points, and we're going to get in a shootout. But at no point did you feel like the Rams had that ability in them. And I would guess, and you get the vibe, Sean McVay's sick of that. Like He's like, I'm Sean McVay. I should be able to get into a shootout if need be. And here are some comments McVeigh uh, made right after the game when asked about Jared Goff and the future. He said, yes, Jared Goff's our quarterback right now. And then uh, he was uh, had a Zoom conference the day after the game and uh, talked about uh, the future again at quarterback. Everything's being evaluated. I'm not ready to make any sort of statements with regards to anybody, you know, starting position or not. Uh, we're going to have a level of competition at everything that we do. And then he was asked, would Goff be on the roster in 2021? We're, we're in a situation that we're in evaluation mode. Um, you know, all those things are things that, you know, we're, we're moving forward. We're looking forward. And, and I can't, you know, answer any of those questions until, like I said, I take a step back and, and you evaluate everything that uh, is in the best interest of the Rams. Here's the translation to me, Greg, and tell me if I'm wrong, because I know you're very good at translating coach speak. I'm <laughs> sick of this. I am sick of this, and I want to be able to run an offense that can keep pace with the way the league is going right now, and having Jared Goff behind center isn't going to do that. Yeah, translation is like, we're going to try. We're going to try to replace Goff. I don't know that we can. I don't know <laughs> how it's going to look exactly. I mean, Sean McVay is very intentional in everything he does and everything he says, he's probably sick of seeing, you know, on the other side, like, you know, his guy that hey, he probably thinks he's a better coach than scheming up open receivers for a Hall of Fame uh, Aaron Rodgers quarterback. The contract is is tricky, but anyone in Goff's corner, and there are a few in the media. Um, who there was are? Thinking, who I, was, if there are, please tell me who they are, because I have not seen any of them this season. 
um, you know, there there are there field are, reporter <laughs> Melanie Goff. I've, I'm I'm not even going to go there. My point is that they made it out like the people were making a bigger deal out of this whole like Goff and Wolford and everything else thing than than was warranted because of Goff's injury. And I think McVeigh's comments show that it, it was totally warranted, and that'll be a, a huge part of their offseason. Yeah, tough tough way to go into it, losing Staley to the Chargers, as Mark mentioned. He is the new head coach. Kind of kind of interesting to steal the guy in the building. There's a little bit of a sneaky uh, big that brother, little brother rivalry there, I I think, behind the scenes. And I mean, so he, he doesn't have to like move homes. His kids can stay in the same schools. I do wonder a little bit about these playoff games because you know, we are all the whole world is watching one game and the result is so paramount. Like if a game like this happens in week 11, does everyone come out of it thinking like we're going to reboot our offense? We're going to ch- we're Baltimore. We're changing our offense. We're Seattle. We're going to run a ton more. We're going to dump this quarterback and that quarterback. I mean, I know it's also just the end of the season, but like I, I feel like that's so under the microscope that it right. creates um Larger, a larger than life sort of decision making process for some of these coaches. Well, with, get... with Goff, it came, was coming for about six weeks. That was the thing, or six or eight weeks. So that's that's with him in McVeigh at least. We're going to dig in deep on the Brandon Staley hire by the Chargers, and of course Robert Sala, 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 going to the Jets, and Arthur Smith going to the Falcons. We'll dig into that in our next show uh, on Tuesday, and anything else that happens. Um, around the NFL as we do just a heads up but uh, yeah that that's the Rams are in an interesting place now cuz they got to replace the, it's funny with uh, I just said I'm going to we're going to talk about it Tuesday but I have to say cuz it, it, it Brandon Staley it almost now is an advantage to not have experience like just put one good year on tape and then they're <laughs> right. going to get behind you it's the right. Sean McVay model like we're willing to gamble that you are the the future of the league rather than you have to show it multiple years it, it's kind of funny the way things like are if now. you're Wink Martindale and Leslie Frazier you're thinking yep. wait a minute they just hired that guy he's been doing this for five months he just they just hired the guy whose defense uh, gave up and this is kind of one of these silly stats, but for the first time in playoff history, a team had 475 yards um, total, 175 yards rushing, zero sacks, zero turnovers. So, like, about as efficient an <laughs> offense that has ever existed in the postseason is what the Packers just did to the Rams. That's like when Matt Patricia got the Lions job after the Eagles Super Bowl win. Like, uh, I <laughs> That's know, what I man. kind of felt about Arthur Smith, and I, it feels a little unfair, but when I rewatched that game, and man, the Ravens had their number. Um, we should give uh, Packers fans a little a little cheese to nibble on, by the way. They had a lot of nice things. They, sh- they could have won this game by like 40. They Like Rashawn Gary and Kenny Clark stepping up big, Aaron Jones had a nice game, and then just like... Rogers, how like calm he was when he just like yells to Alan Lazard on that touchdown, just like "Hey, Alan!" and then the <laughs> throws him like a sixty-yard touchdown. He's just like chilling in the end this zone good. before uh, he throws like a thirty-yard you know thing. And while well, most quarterbacks would be freaking out, taking his safety is pretty awesome. He's so yeah, he's so unique. I don't think we'll ever have another quarterback or player in the NFL like Rogers to have his abilities, but also. He's such an interesting personality, and you're watching him in these interviews, and or you're watching him on the field. They they had did a nice job catching him, just grinning uh, under center. He's just completely. It actually gets me a little bit mad that someone could be that physically talented and that smart. The guy's going to be hosting <laughs> Jeopardy uh, down the road in in, in the near future. Uh, he's just such a unique character. 
Um, and for him to be playing at this level in this Packers team, which is actually now going to go into this game as a favorite, like I said earlier, I assume, um, they should get back to the Super Bowl. And if they do, it's Rodgers' first trip back in 10 years. So he's overdue, and it might be his best chance to get back to the Super Bowl. It is. This first one, first one at home, right? Mm-hmm. Certainly the mm-hmm. first one at home since then. I'm trying to think. All right. Any other thoughts about this game, gentlemen? I'm looking to update you on um, the situation for next week in terms of they, they are four-point favorites, by the way. The they are. So nothing okay. cra- nothing crazy. but That's know. about right. Yeah. Yeah. That's about right. Maybe four and a half. I'd lay a little more I wood. love their chances against Tampa Bay. I'd lay a little more oak there, Greg, personally. I think I'm, touch. you know, as I realize watching the Browns, I just want to pick the games of what I want to happen. I don't like Rudy against what I want because I did want the Browns to win, and but you know, had the whole lock situation. I don't like the, these conflicting things. So <laughs> I think I know I'm going to be wanting Tom Brady to win another game, and so I'll probably just pick him to win. Why not? Okay. Why There's not? a tease. There's a tease for you. And, uh, Mark, just like you did, we, we did um, a lot of work with Sky Sports overseas um, this weekend and last weekend as well. It's been a lot of fun with uh, Neil Reynolds and Jeff Reinbold and Sean Gale and Brian Maldinger. Amazing, been, yeah. That's, it's been a lot of fun. Leslie Frazier's teammate on the 85 Bears, Sean yep. Gale. How about that? That's true. Uh, and Patrick Crowley, the producer over there, Alex Mason. It's It's been a great relationship we've had with that whole gang there. And, and the fact that you, Mark, right after the Browns game, seconds after... Uh, you went on Sky Sports Live, comported yourself professionally, and did the same thing here today. I just, I tip my cap to you, sir. Well, thank you. I mean, part of me is like we, I, I would do shows when they capped a no in 16 season. So um, I'm not saying this is, it's, you know, it's different levels of annoyance, but uh, I, I've actually really enjoyed these past two weeks doing this guy with you guys and have, having the chance to have Wes on. Um, the Browns are just part of it. There's a lot of other parts, and um, it's like another thing, and I think we all hear from our listeners in so many different ways. I have never experienced anything like all the people reaching out with, um, you know, wishing you well over a game or not. There's a couple a-holes in there, but I think they're actually not <laughs> from our they're not from our podcast. Listen, just, man, you know, you're pushing Drew Carey. You're pushing them. I don't know if I would really want that as an identity because I think like the, the same thing that's also happening is like all the big wigs in the company. Like, oh yeah, he's that Browns fan guy. I don't put it. He's a fan he boy. To, he doesn't know how to talk about anything else. It's like, yeah, I might kind of you know. It's I like, like who's just like Nick Shook's like I'm super logical guy. Like that might be the way to go here. I mean, who Sesla the aging fanboy? <laughs> right. It's a hideous identity. So it's uh, you know I'm gonna I'm gonna use the next couple months to get away from that. The fans love you, Mark. Um, we love you, and the um, listeners, including one uh, named Jimmy from Toronto, he he got ahead of it a little bit just in the in the off chance that things didn't go well for um, the Browns. We've been playing the Cleveland Browns um, fight song. Uh, from when they re-entered the league. So figured a good way to close out today's show is to listen to Jimmy from Toronto's version, cover version uh, of that very song. Uh, what's the song called again? Well, Here We Go Again. Here We Go not, Again. So not this actually is, true as of tomorrow, but yeah. Yeah, this is a, a stripped-down version uh, to reflect the events of today. And before we play that, yes, thank you to Chris Wessling for joining us. 
uh, Ricky Hollywood behind the virtual glass. We'll be back Tuesday uh, with another show and a full big show. A lot to talk about everything in the news, including Sala, Sala, Sala. Uh, so make sure you come back for that. And, and Cleveland Browns uh, rising, rising, taking that next step this time next year. We see it. But for now, the season comes to an end. We'll see you on Tuesday. So here we go again. It's the Cleveland Browns. It's first and ten. So get on your feet and let the games begin. Till Tuesday. All right. <laughs> you go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.